Can university research parks, incubators, and accelerators catalyze innovation in opportunity zones? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. How can university research parks and university-based incubators catalyze innovation in Opportunity Zones? Joining me today from his office in College Park, Maryland, is the CEO of the Association of University Research Parks, Brian Darmody. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to hear from you. Good to hear from you as well. We were on a panel just last week with Eagles Milbergs on a uh, on an Opportunity Zone panel that highlighted some of the big Opportunity Zone operators in the state of Maryland. And quick turnaround time here. Now I've got you on my podcast because I, I loved what you had to say. And I love the work that you're doing at, at AURP. So to get us started here today, Brian, could you tell us about your organization, the Association of University Research Parks, or AURP? What is its mission exactly? And, and when did you come on as the CEO? Thanks. So um, AURP mission is really, our tagline is creating communities of innovation. So we're interested in real estate, we're invested in companies, we're interested in building innovation in the triple helix of government, university, and industry uh, partnerships. We were started back in 1986 by the heads of Stanford Research Park, Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. Texas A&M, Arizona State University Research Park, RPI in New York, Edmonton, Canada, Research Park Authority. So in some sense, we were started as an international uh, nonprofit. And we've grown to now represent research parks in 42 states and 13 countries. And they're sponsored by mostly by universities, but we have members that are sponsored by you know, federal labs, some communities. Corporations, if you think about it, Amazon H22, they're being, being built in Northern Virginia. That's going to be kind of a, a, a research park. And, and even though our formal title is Association of University Research Parks, since our founding in 1986, it's really become less about research parks, more about innovation, innovation districts, uh, incubators, the whole innovation ecosystem. So Back when we were founded, there was a lot of emphasis on the real estate. And these days, there's emphasis on real estate, but also how do you connect all of those assets I mentioned, uh, uh, government, university, and industry together. And so you have activation. You have uh, housing built in into the real estate. You have uh, child care. You have hotels. You have all of those assets to really build an, an innovation ecosystem. And we like to think we represent all of those folks uh, through this nonprofit as policies change on the federal, state, and local levels to encourage more innovation and entrepreneurship. Good. And so if you're a listener out there today and you are an innovative entrepreneur or you are you have a startup firm or you're a fund manager, Today's episode is going to be specifically geared toward getting you to think about some of the benefits of partnering with 
a university research park, many of which are members in the organization that Brian serves as the CEO of. Uh, Brian, how many members do you have and, and what, what parts of the nation do they cover? So I mentioned we're in 42 states. So, you know, we from California to the East Coast, North to Massachusetts, down South, down to, you know, Florida and Texas. We have most of the major large land-grant universities like Illinois, Purdue, Florida, um, Texas, many of the UC campuses, uh, University of Maryland. So we're geographically agnostic, but we cover most of the the major um, university centers across the country. And many of your members, many of those major university research centers across the country, not all of them, but many of them do lie within the footprint of an Opportunity Zone. So I want you to walk us through now when you learned about the Opportunity Zone initiative and the and when the zones were created a little more than two years ago. How did that come about? What, what was that like figuring out which of your members were in Opportunity Zones and what was the process of informing them like? So I, you know, I was not did not closely follow the Opportunity Zone legislation as it was considered by the Congress and signed by the president. But I know in Maryland, so when they announced each governor, as you know, selected districts in their census tracts in their individual states and sent them in. And I said, oh, look at this. College Park is an opportunity zone. I better look at this. So, and then I noticed in Baltimore, Baltimore, where University of Maryland, Baltimore, they have a biopark. That was an opportunity zone. I noticed, oh, look, Johns Hopkins, they have a research park, kind of a research park adjacent to their medical campus in East Baltimore, and that was the uh, opportunity zone. And, uh, you know, I kept looking, and I noticed there was an area around a community college in McCarthy County uh, that has an incubator. And I said, that's an opportunity zone. And, and so it was really the state of Maryland where I noticed a lot of assets, including areas around the National Cancer Institute in Frederick, um, Maryland. We have a lot of federal labs. And, uh, you know, Morgan State University, HBCU in Baltimore, that was an opportunity zone. So, at least in Maryland, each county, you know, submitted ideas and our, our Maryland Department of Housing and Community Development, you know, list, uh, aggregated them. And I wasn't involved in any of that, but I just saw the, uh, the outcome. Um, and, you know, the governor submitted them and, and, and they were approved by the Department of Treasury. So then I started looking at our members and noticed, oh, University of Nebraska, Innovation Campus, it's an opportunity zone uh, in Lincoln and in a rural part. You know, looked in other our other members, and then realized a fair number, as you said, maybe a third of our members were in opportunity zones, and started thinking what would be the implications of that from a financing standpoint, and was interested. In, and I'm sure our financial folks, our, our members from the real estate side, uh, were paying attention. And I know in College Park, Maryland, not our research park, but some investors in helping uh, build new facilities in College Park, Maryland, they use some opportunity zone investment to to um, help build um, some activity in the, in the city. And so if you're doing that in College Park, you know, you can certainly do that uh, anywhere across the country. So that's what so we put together a map, which we need to update, uh, of all of the our members that were uh, across the country. And I started thinking, okay, 
how is this going to work? How are investors going to learn about investment opportunities? And as you know, it's you know there's been additional policy clarification uh, on the real estate side, and then more recently on the operating business side of uh, how how the opportunity zone program will work. And since it seemed to me, largely on the real estate side, things were going pretty well, and I think uh, national developers sort of understand where there are investment opportunities. Uh, the thing I was interested in is uh, investing in operating businesses. And uh, since we have a lot of startups based at universities, you know, what's, what's the opportunity there for investing on, in operating businesses that happen to be in places around anchor institutions, whether it's a university, a hospital, which a federal lab, all of those are our members. Since we have the places to locate and to physically have those operating businesses grow, is there an opportunity to kind of create a network of investors and our members to, to make this a more efficient marketplace so people know about investment opportunities? especially for operating business, but also for real estate for that. And so how have your members organized around the Opportunity Zone initiative over the past year or so since since they've become aware of the fact that for many of them, their incubators or their innovation parks are located in Opportunity Zones? What, what, have, what have you seen your members do in the meantime to, to help highlight their assets? So, you know, through AERP, we've tried, you know, we created our website, you know, that will get you so far. But a lot of our members, and I've done a lot of educating, right? I've said, oh, have you looked? And it's interesting. Some members, you know, not everyone knows they're an opportunity. Zone. So we've been doing some, some um, educating on, on, on that side. And, uh, and a lot of this is state-based, right? So the state of Maryland has pretty sophisticated uh, uh, web portal. And I make sure some of our companies, and like we have a quantum computing company that happens to be in the University of Maryland Discovery District. And I don't know. I mean, they've gotten a lot of money. I don't know if any of it's come from Opportunity Zone funds. Uh, in the course, Reporting requirements aren't that strict yet, so you don't oftentimes know who's gotten Opportunity Zone uh, uh, funding. The only thing I know is we need to educate our members and to make sure, uh, you know, they they know about it. And then on the – and even on the financing side, I'll just give you a quick story. So um, Biotech, you know, Bio, the big national conference on uh, – on, Biotech Technologies was in, I can't remember, I think this was in last time they held it in person. And it was shortly, it was a year after the Opportunity Zone investing went through, and there was a panel of VCs, and they were talking about investing in biotech companies. And, you know, they had a Q&A session, and I asked them, what did they think about Opportunity Zone investing in biotech companies, operating businesses, because the um, rules were becoming a little clearer. And, I mean, these were very sophisticated DCs, three of them. And none of them had ever heard or they, they didn't know what an opportunity zone was. And so, I mean, that gave me a little light bulb went off. I said, wow, you know, these guys are very, well, uh, they are very sophisticated, but they just hadn't even considered. They didn't even know 
um, anything about Arctic. They thought I was talking about some state investment program. So, I mean, that just illustrates, I think, the folks involved with Opportunity Zone, especially those trying to get people to invest in uh, uh, businesses, you know, collectively we got a lot of work to do. To make sure people still un understand this. I think a lot of the focus has been on in terms about gentrification on the real estate side. Um, and um, I think there's a good thesis to say, wow, maybe we can get some investment in companies that might, you know, help cure cancer or those kinds of things that uh, happen to be in opportunity zones. And I think that's the kind of um, education, you know, we're trying to do on a very low level. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's that's good of you to point out that, you know, at, at many levels, every level along the way, really, uh, you know, from the individual investor to the startup entrepreneurs to the anchor institutions themselves and uh, and all the layers in between, you know, there's a lot of education that still needs to get done. This program or this tax incentive or policy initiative, I should say, is you know, has been in existence for over two years now. And there's still a lot of people out there who are just unaware of it or don't understand mechanically how it works or, or why it could be of great benefit to them. So, uh, yeah, keep keep doing what you're doing, get, getting the word out there and getting people educated on, on what good this program could do. So, Brian, now, if I am a fund manager, maybe I'm an Opportunity Zone fund manager, or maybe I'm not a fund manager, maybe I'm just a... a, a a business owner or a innovative startup entrepreneur, why should I consider partnering with a university research park? And maybe more specifically, what are some of the benefits that I could incur from partnering with a university research park located in an opportunity zone? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, a lot of our parks have uh, spaces where companies can go and they, get, they have a lot of universities and men mentorship programs other kinds of, uh, you know, people who know about not just federal opportunity zones, but also oftentimes uh, other federal opportunities like SBIR, SPTR uh, programs, or even state or local kinds of incentives. Go. So, for example, I know in Maryland, you know, we have a bio-investor bio tax credit. So, uh, if you're a biotech company in Maryland and you're an investor, so it doesn't go to the company because to uh, the investor um, you, you get a, a credit on your uh, investment uh, it's irrespective of whether you're an opportunity zone. so the point is you know that's true in Maryland you know there's folks at universities that all most major universities that um, know about those kinds of programs and the fact that you have a physical facility where you can grow and be near um, talent, you know, and technology. So maybe there's some uh, some technology that come out of the hospital, the university hospital system, or maybe from the university engineering school or whatever. You also have talent, so you have students that can be part-time employees. You have faculty, probably at most universities, there's probably an expert in some technology that's important to the growth of your company. You can sometimes get access to those faculty through just a consulting arrangement or um, some sponsored research at, 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 at the university. So that's why, um, you know, research parks and innovation districts have been a major growth factor and uh, 
students want jobs, corporations want access to talent, and so that's why you have this phenomenon of uh, corporations like here at the University of Maryland Discovery District, Capital One, is you know has this incubation lab and working on artificial intelligence. They also have a similar operation at the University of Illinois uh, Research Park. So they're they help to demonstrate that they're not really a bank; they're really a financial innovation company. And so I, I you know the motivation for large corporations is to uh, gain access to talent and tech. And the same motivation is true for smaller startup companies. Uh, but, but especially startup companies need that early financing. And, you know, if you in a research park that also happens to be an opportunity zone, that's just a double, uh, you know, double opportunity. A double opportunity. Yeah. Uh, well put there. We've talked a little bit about real estate and how that was the one of the initial goals of the AURP was to establish real estate in or near uh, university campuses around the country. Now, the mission of the AURP, correct me if I'm wrong, has transitioned more into providing startup incubators or innovative incubators. Uh, is that correct? Is that fair to say? And what, what do you like about startups? And what are some of the challenges, particularly in terms of doing so in an opportunity zone? Yeah, so um, you know, we we have big corporations, we have small companies, so uh, we're agnostic. We <laughs> so uh, I mean, so big corporations, you know, like to come to, to universities. I mean, Amazon H2 2 is a great example, right? Uh, it um, when they did their RFP, there was a lot of analysis on on, on talent, where they could get talent, and. They located in Northern Virginia. So Virginia Tech is now building a, a huge campus next to them, as is George Mason, as is Marymount, uh, even the University of Maryland. We're leasing space in another state to be near Amazon HQ2. So this is the university coming to the corporation, not the corporation coming to the, to the university. So large university, uh, large corporations continue to be important uh, in the research park world, et cetera. I mean, what I like about Cardos is that's where a lot of innovation takes place. That's why you have a lot of M&A activity with large corporations merging or acquiring, uh, you know, startup companies. Uh, but it's where um, the smaller companies are oftentimes more agile and more nimble. And that's why, you know, excited to see what's happening with quantum computing. I mentioned the quantum computing company in the University of Maryland Discovery District, you know, we have uh, companies that are looking at new ways of manufacturing drugs in uh, Virginia Commonwealth uh, University, a, a new whole new process. Uh, and could that be done by large pharmaceutical? Maybe. But uh, if we can find a more efficient way to uh, uh, create new drugs and to strengthen our supply lines, our domestic supply lines, so, like pandemic, we're not worried about where we're going to get you know, our uh, antibiotics or whatever. Um, a lot of that thought and that kind of activity is, is taking place um, in, uh, in this case, biotech companies that are in our research parks and innovation districts across the country. So it's why I like startups is that's where some of the more uh, interesting technologies have grown from, you know, um, Google, the two, uh, Sergey Brin and uh, Page, you know, they both 
went to Stanford and were doing research on indexing of library uh, holdings, and you know, and came up with the PageRank system, which eventually led to Google after many years of additional work. Yeah, can you imagine if Sergey Brin and Larry Page had founded Google in an Opportunity Zone? I know the Opportunity Zone initiative didn't exist way back then, but talk about that a little bit if you wouldn't mind. If you get like a huge multiple on your exit with a startup, talk 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 about how powerful that can be if you if you're able to shelter those sure. capital gains. So, um yeah, I mean you know, two X or whatever on a real estate thing, that'd be great. People would be real happy uh, on that. But I mean, just give an example, biotech companies, right? Uh, so if you have um, uh, mature technology uh, that uh, is a new drug or a new medical device or whatever, you know, uh, the return on investment with a success, successful one can be 40, 50 X on your original investment. So imagine being able to, you know, shelter those kinds of, uh, games and then, I mean, the other nice thing, how why I think opportunity zones and particularly biotech companies is a good matchup. They also just mature the technology for a biotech company is is very long, right? So you've got a long regulatory uh, process. You have many barriers. It's also very expensive. What app space is very expensive. All of that, uh, and and typically, uh, you know, ten years is is kind of the maturation at a minimum. Well, that syncs up very well with, um, uh, you know, opportunities on investing. And then there's also the stickiness, though, to maintain that, you know, opportunity on investment in a biotech company, maybe in a research park. You know, if it works, the company's going to have to stay there for 10 years. So from a public policy standpoint, if you're worried about companies leaving, again, all of these things can come together to create a virtuous cycle where the company gets investors in the company get a good return because their capital gains are sheltered. The state or locality gets a good return because the company stays there because they need you for financial uh, reasons. And then the nation gets good technology because, you know, we have better health outcomes and, your cancer, HIV, or whatever, uh, because you have smart people uh, working with technology surrounded by a lot of other smart people with the right kind of equipment and lab that you have in a research park so, or, or a university. So all those forces can come together, one would argue, in, a, in an opportunity zone that's in a research park. So a lot of your university research park members now are likely standing by, right? They're they're ready to take in opportunity zone investment from different funds or other business owners. Which funds have your members partnered with so far? Maybe maybe you have an example or two. So yeah, I mean part of this is the way the opportunity zone fund works, right? Often I, I mentioned some of the investment in some projects in College Park. I think some of them came in as, as opportunity zone funds, but um, we. We, you know, so AERP, I mean, we represent the park, in, and we don't necessarily represent the companies that are in the tenants in the, in, in the park. And so that's oftentimes an individual uh, transaction that occurs between the tenant and the fund, whether it's opt-in zone fund or just regular, you know, VC or angel investing 
and that, that sort of negotiation happened um, at that tenant level. So we uh, we wouldn't necessarily know. Um, sometimes maybe have a, a, a partnership with the, the park itself, and again, that's at the park. It's not you know through um, AURP. But I, I mean, uh, Leonard Mills. He's a, he's a, a investor trying to attract investment, and he's been doing investing in startup companies that are in. A lot of them are university startups, and many of them are in incubators or research parks um, in the mid-Atlantic, and I think he has some investment in, in uh, Atlanta and a couple of other places. So he that, that that's a fund that's very focused on investing in startups um, in the Opportunity Zone uh, with the companies uh, in many of our member parks, but not exclusively. So... His Verte Oz is the name of his, you know, company, and we need more uh, in, in investors like that. AURP itself, we may not know uh, of the individual investment decisions that a fund manager or family office or whatever is making, but we think our platform of companies and our platform of places that have anchor institutions in them, whether they're you know, one of our members is Children's National, right? That's in Walter Reed. They have um, gay labs built in incubating there. Uh, there are 13 gay labs across the country. This one's focused on pediatric cancer. Um, there are uh, technologies related to pediatric, not pediatric cancer per se, but um, can you imagine investing, you know, having a startup in the gay lab, Children's National, and Walter Reed uh, that's in an opportunity zone, um, you know, doing some kind of, Technology healthcare solution for children, um, but also you have the advantage of being in an opportunity zone. That's like that's our poster child for uh, technologies. I hope that will be coming out of the J labs that help um, support health of children, um, and I think it will only be made more possible because that happens to be an opportunity zone. A couple of great examples there. Uh, Leonard Mills with Verte OZ Fund. Uh, Leonard was on this podcast earlier this year, um, and his fund uh, has the distinction of being one of the first, if not the first, Opportunity Zone funds to deploy capital to venture business. So that's that's really interesting that he is partnering with with some of your members there. Brian, shifting gears now, I want to talk to you about the Opportunity Zone legislation. There's some indications from Capitol Hill that we're likely to see some Opportunity Zone reform, regardless of what happens uh, in the election next month, uh, whether Biden wins the presidency or the Democrats take control of the Senate. Uh, I think I think regardless of that, we'll see some sort of Opportunity Zone legislation changes, uh, possibly toward the end of this year, if not next year. But Brian, what would you like to see uh, happen? How would you like to see the Opportunity Zone legislation tweaked? Yeah, I know there's been a lot of concern about the reporting. You know, um, I'm agnostic on that. So uh, whatever the policymakers uh, want to uh, uh, do about, you know, increased uh, reporting and uh, making sure, uh, you know, there's more transparency. Um which I think in general, obviously, more transparency is always a good thing, uh, as long as it doesn't, you know, uh, become so burdensome that you're not going to have it, uh, you know, in, investors. Um, 
I think on the operating businesses, um, you know, uh, I'm not an accountant, uh, so I, I'm, you know, I don't know all the nuances of the opportunity zone. I'll be the first uh, to admit it. I know it, it's a tool. It's not going to make a bad investment perfect. It, it, it can help uh, augment uh, investment uh investment decision. So I just hope they continue to work on clarifying the rules for uh, operating businesses because um, I, I think that, you know, that there's been a little bit of disappointment. There hasn't been more investment uh, in, in, in that. And, and make sure as a, as a nation that has a lot of stake in making sure our innovation uh, part of our economy continues to grow. I mean, there's a parallel effort called the uh, Endless Frontier Act to create a $100 billion, with the billion dollar fund, you know, to build these uh, technology uh, centers across the United States in, in, in leading areas like cell and gene therapy or quantum computing or AI or whatever. Um, I just want to, you know, it'd be nice to make sure we continue to have alignment so that, uh, uh, if the federal government, you know, sets up these centers, you know, opportunities on investing in startup companies that were aligned with these kinds of uh, technologies would be perfect. So I, I just hope we, you know, we continue to, to align and to make sure we build up, like we protect the Bayh-Dole you know, which helps give universities the right to uh, intellectual property funded, funded federal research and so that we, continue to make sure all of these different policies, all of which help advance the innovation economy are, are working together and not at cross purpose. Excellent. Well, Brian, been a really great discussion today with you. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, we've got just a couple more minutes left, and I know the AURP has their international conference coming up very shortly. Can you tell our listeners about that, please? Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to be virtual. It's November 2nd to the 6th, 2020. Uh, you can learn more about it by going to www.aurp.net. Uh, and we have some great speakers. We have uh, Steve Case, you know, Rise of the Rest, uh, uh, former CEO of AOL, uh, and, you know, VC uh, with his revolution uh uh, fund. Uh, we have Dr. Michelle McMurray Heath, the new head of Bio, and Bio, uh, the large, world's largest trade association for biotech companies. Uh, and she'll be talking about bio innovation. You know, we have a panel on the Bio Act. I mentioned that's 40 celebrating its 40th year anniversary, and that helped uh, create a lot of companies out of federal research in a more efficient way having universities and VCs as uh, investors and angel uh, investors help mature, uh, you know, technologies from things like Google to uh, all kinds of uh, systems that we are, are used to today. So even though we don't, last year we had a panel on VC, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Opportunity Zone Investing, we don't really have one specific this November, but if you think about a bio and, and Steve Case, I mean, all of those represent all of those different assets and uh, represent uh, much of what Opportunity Zone is trying to do, at least investing in, 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 in uh, operating businesses, new operating businesses. So um, if you're interested, please, you know, sign up, and uh, I think it's going to be a great uh, program.
Fantastic. Yeah, no, it sounds sounds really interesting. Uh, give us that website address one more time. Where where can our listeners go to learn more about you and and that event and AURP? Yeah, it's aurp.net is the web address, and you can find you know my address or I'll just my email if anyone's interested. Want to send me an idea or want to connect with us? It's my first and last name, Brian Darmody, B-R-I-A-N-D-A-R-M-O-D-Y at aurp.net. And hopefully I will get back to you as soon as possible. Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. And for our listeners out there, I will have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes, as always, at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that Brian and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to include that link to aurp.net as well, where you can read more about the international conference coming up here in just a couple more weeks. Brian, thanks for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you and good luck. And you're doing a great job in helping educate uh, folks about uh, the opportunity and opportunity. That's what we all need to do. And I appreciate uh, what you've been doing. All right. Thank you. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.